Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. Dare I say, Derek, we're back. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still floating high on Cam Newton's re resurgence in my hometown, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, but yeah, this is the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show, ready to talk the Week 11 waiver wire, which I think is going to feature Cam Newton pretty prominently. Uh, Derek, what's going on? Derek Klassen, our scouting expert at Football Outsiders, joining me to break it all down. How's it going, man? How could you not be excited? It's Cam Newton, man. Like I'm not a Panthers fan, but I'm as big a Cam Newton fan as, as there probably is outside of Charlotte. So I'm, I'm as hyped as anybody. Yeah, I will say that I think probably a lot of people in the country laugh at, at the Panthers fans for being this into Cam Newton, especially at this point in his career, like five or six years after the Super Bowl. But I'll say from a fantasy perspective, I mean, he's a little bit more um, worthwhile of a, of a topic of conversation. So we'll hit on that and others in the show. Before we get to the individual players to hit on, though, let me remind everyone that FO Plus is now on sale for just 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer, so jump over to the site, grab your stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting information. Uh, you go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show to sign up. And again, we are live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can ask us questions on Facebook or you can watch us live on Twitch, Twitter, or YouTube. I, have, I think I had that order wrong. You ask us questions on YouTube, whatever. Watch us wherever you prefer and, and you can get all of your questions answered. Derek, before we get to Cam Newton, let's start with, I think, the most important waiver option for the week. That's A.J. Dillon of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I'm suggesting a 41% fab bid. I had this at 100%, but the breaking news with Aaron Jones's knee injury is that it's more of a, an MCL sprain than anything else, and that he may only miss a week or two, so it may be a more of a short-term option, maybe not even bleeding into the fantasy playoffs. But I have to say, for however long Aaron Jones is going to miss, I feel like Dillon's going to have a ton of success in fantasy. He obviously did on Sunday, 21 carries, 66 yards, and two touchdowns, uh, playing just about 49% of snaps because Jones made it about halfway through the, grain, the, the game before he sprained his, uh, his MCL. But Dylan is a big back. Uh, he's almost 250 pounds, kind of drafted in the mold of Derrick Henry, uh, which is LaFleur's old team. He was OC for the team, the Titans, back in the day. So, I mean, you can kind of see how that could work out, especially with such a potent passing game. Do you feel like Dylan has that type of you know top 10 fantasy running back upside? I think he can. I, I mean, one of the reasons is just I, I kind of trust what the Packers offense is becoming generally. Like I trust yeah. LeFleur as a coach when when they have a lot of their guys healthy, when the offensive line is a little bit more healthy. Like I just trust the structure of what's going on there. But Dylan in particular is really, really impressive. I mean, he's he's one of the strongest runners in the league. And I think the difference to me between what uh, Dylan is compared to what Henry is, is like, Henry kind of needs a couple of yards to like get going. And then once he does, he's obviously going to steamroll you. And he's kind of just, yeah. he, the, the play's over. You get, he gets to do what he wants. Dylan to me is the opposite where like he has like maximum strength the moment he gets the ball and he doesn't build up the same way that Henry does to me, but like he can bounce guys off immediately at the line of scrimmage. Like he just has an incredible way of powering through, um, you know, tacklers and stuff at the line of scrimmage and, and muscling out yards. I think that's why he's a really good, you know, short yardage goal lineback, even though they haven't used him that much to this point for whatever reason. Um, I think with Aaron Jones's injury, he's obviously going to get a lot of opportunities in that sense. And then I think even when Jones comes back, like, I think it's entirely possible that they are just so impressed that what Dylan has done that he, you know, I, I don't think his carries are going to fall that far, even when they start splitting again. Yeah, so I mean, what you probably would expect to see with that type of a description of talent, 2.8 yards after contact per attempt since the start of last year. That's the fourth best among running backs with 50-plus carries. Nick Chubb, of course, is first, 3.1. J.K. Dobbins, Ronald Jones are second and third. I think Henry's maybe like fifth or sixth. Uh, 
So like he's in that class that you would expect given his size and his power in that respect. Aaron Jones has always done pretty well in yards after contact too. I know it doesn't seem like it would be the case with the build, but I think you're right in the respect that even if it's just to save Jones, especially now that he's suffered this injury, you're trying to kind of get him healthy through the, the real playoffs. It may be a good option to, to you know, let Jones uh, or to let uh, Dylan get a little bit extra carries down the stretch here, maybe extra touchdown opportunities, but I'm still surprised by how versatile he is as a player. It's not just the buildup speed, like you mentioned, but He's got 1.5 average yards after the catch uh, plus since the start of last year. That's top 20 among running backs with 10 plus targets. He can kind of catch the ball out of the backfield, do some other stuff too. And like, obviously in the short term, when he's getting all the touches, it's not going to really matter how many catches he gets for fantasy value as much. But uh, when, even when Jones comes back, it feels like he could be a flex value down the stretch, contributing a little bit more than just the goal line touches. Right. Sorry. I think I hopped out there for a second, but yeah, I think it, I think it. I think the thing with Dylan is that he's not just like this um, power back and stuff. I think we've seen in moments that he's actually a really, really good pass catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it doesn't work in space the same way that Jones can. Yeah. Um, but I think it's not like he's this complete like stone hands Leonard Fournette, completely useless in the passing game. I think he at least like clears the bar of whatever you you need to be a functional running back. So I think this is like even less a situation where it's like these two running backs have these like perfectly complementing skill sets where one guy has to do all of these things. The other guy has to do all these other things. I think they both can kind of do a lot of the same things. And there's a lot of overlap in terms of they can both be on the field for whatever. And I think mm-hmm. that's just really valuable for the Packers in the long run. Yeah. So as mentioned, Jones may only miss a week or two with an MCL sprain, but I'll point out that Clyde Edwards Alaire is the big example of a back that, that sprained his MCL earlier in the year. That was back in week five. We think he's going to return in week 11, but you know, that's a six week absence. I get that there's different degrees of seriousness here. And so you, you would expect based on the news that Jones is on the milder side of that, but you know, Dylan is clearly someone you should add in fantasy, even if you don't necessarily need him immediately, because you know, this could, this could end up being more than a one or two week stint as a top 10 running back. I would definitely spend it all. And as useful Baker mentions in the YouTube chat, weeks of holding on to Dylan are finally going to pay off. I absolutely think they are. I think for the next few weeks, at least you're going to have a very useful fantasy option for you. All right. The moment we've been waiting for here, Derek, Cam Newton, we want to talk about it. Uh, I may be getting a little bit away, uh, scared away with things here with the 36% fab bid, but we're kind of getting to that point in the year where so few of these guys that we're even talking about are going to have a, a major chance to contribute during the fantasy playoffs. I think maybe Dylan could, as mentioned with Jones, potentially getting a little bit fewer carries down the stretch. But with Newton, we've seen him at his best as a top eight fantasy quarterback every year, except maybe two in the last five. So it's like, if he is healthier, I feel like he could maybe have some success. Even in the preseason when he was with the Patriots, uh, it seemed like his throwing mechanics looked better. And we've heard all the stories about how he's had to deal with, you know, shoulder surgeries, foot surgeries and stuff in recent seasons. I was kind of counting on the fact with the Patriots that maybe the arm was in a better physical shape than it was in previous seasons. What have you seen from Newton so far? Granted that he only threw like three passes last week, so it may be hard to judge, but is the optimism that I have here warranted? I think so. I I mean, I'll just start with Cam before I get to the offense. Like, I think you're right that his mechanics and his health looked better in the preseason than I think it had before. And I think the reasons that Cam got cut were mostly that, you know, at the time he was unvaccinated. And I think Bill Belichick didn't really want to deal with a quarterback not being able to potentially start games. And they trusted Mac enough that they were like, well, we're just not going to deal with this. We're just going to roll that way. But I don't think it was because he didn't think Cam was capable of being 
the starting quarterback. I think, you know, like you said, he played well in the preseason. Um, I think they even built the offense for him in the way that they, they got tight ends that could really function over the middle of the field. That's where Cam Newton really thrives to me. Um, so it seemed like they had built the offense for him and things just didn't work out, but I'm still pretty hopeful on what Cam Newton can be. I think he still has enough as a runner, especially in the goal line, um, you know, inside the five. I think we obviously saw that this past Sunday. Um, we'll see just how healthy his arm still is. But again, I think he looked better than he has at certain points, especially at the very tail end of his um, Panthers career and like even early on with the Patriots. Um, so I don't know. I, I've always been optimistic on Cam Newton, so I'm probably going to be no matter what happens. But um, I think there's plenty of reason to be excited. And I think this offense is actually still pretty good. The offensive line is not very good. But one, he's used to that. I think especially <laughs> in Carolina, he, he got that for most of his career there. So I don't think that's going to be anything foreign to him. And then I think this patch, pass catching group is, is still pretty good. I know Robbie Anderson hasn't been um, as good as he has been in the past, but I think part of that was just frustration with the quarterback. Um, at least that's kind of my read on it. I think he just didn't want to play with Sam Darnold anymore. Um, and then honestly, I think Joe, yeah, I mean, yeah, understood. I mean, <laughs> Sam, Darn Sam Darnold's been probably the worst quarterback in the league. And then um, I think Joe Brady has honestly been calling a good offense Sam Darnold's just not good at a lot of the the one to ten yard stuff that um, Joe Brady is very good at manufacturing. Um, he just doesn't even see. He doesn't even want to take it. You know, Cam Newton sometimes has accuracy issues into that area, but he will take those throws when they're there. Um, and I think he actually even got better at that at the tail end of his uh, Panthers career. I think it was 2018 he started to do a really really good job of taking those throws. So I think if you can get that version of Cam Newton yeah. with an offensive coordinator that is even better at getting that stuff open. I mean, he's not going to go back to MVP levels, but like this could be a pretty decent quarterback again. Yeah, I think the, the trap that I think people may fall into here is just assuming that since the Super Bowl season, the 2015, that's all been bad for Cam. And if you look at like total fantasy points or maybe total yards or whatever your, your preferred metric is, it looks bad. But again, he missed time in so many of those seasons, but he was a top eight fantasy quarterback in fantasy points per game in 2017 and 2018. Uh, despite missing some time in those seasons. So I think when he's on the field and maybe he won't make it through the rest of the season because of health, but like while he's healthy, I think it could really work for you in fantasy. You mentioned the sort of late career renaissance with the Panthers before the final injury. So much of that was just throwing the ball at Christian McCaffrey. And I know that like we make a, a fun of, of running backs and, you know, the Panthers paying McCaffrey as much as they paid, but from Cam's perspective, it does give a really high completion type of target can help him deal with the fact that the offensive line's bad. The offensive line for the Panthers, by the way, is notably worse in pass protection than run blocking. So I think that's probably a point in, in favor here. And also the fact that Newton runs so much zone read, it's almost a style of, of run game that's designed to handle having a bad offensive line. Because again, you're like, you're inviting pressure and then you're making decisions based on what the pressure is. So it, in a lot of ways, it just feels like Cam is a much better fit for what the Panthers have offensively than you know, even the the better version of Darnold that we thought we were going to get the first few weeks of the season. So, like, I feel like Newton's a good fit. And so my my major, my only real concern here is health. But uh, maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic again. I am pretty close to this situation. No, I mean, I think I agree. I think so long as he's healthy, he's he's going to be able to produce at a, at a decent clip. And I think, like, the, the defense is maybe not as elite as we thought they were early in the year, but like they're plenty good. And I don't, I don't think they're going to put him into too many bad situations in that sense. So like, I think it, they can play a lot of these like grinded out um, style of games. And then maybe you can hit on a couple of explosive plays, you know, particularly mm -hmm. to, to Robbie Anderson. Like, I think they have enough pieces here for this to like 
be pretty functional. And like you mentioned, like, yeah, the offensive line isn't the best, but if you're going to have a guy like Cam Newton who can like neutralize numbers in the run game and kind of help out in that sense. And then, you know, if you're not blocking an edge guy, you can more easily get double teams. Like that sort of stuff is going to help. And so I think, I don't know, it's, it's just a really good situation. And then the last thing I'll say with like the, the late career Renaissance that he had with the Panthers where he started throwing short more, it really was just having a guy like Christian McCaffrey um, and even like Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, they were more suited to win in that one to 10 yard area. Like they could in the few years before that, like, especially like the Super Bowl year, like they didn't have a guy who could win that. They didn't have a guy who could run a slant. Like Kelvin Benjamin was built like a tree, but he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't run those routes. He would get bullied by like Robert Alford on like a slant route. Like that shouldn't happen, but they have guys that I think are, are better at running those routes and getting open. So I don't know. I, I think it's a good situation. Um, he's, he's probably going to produce and I'm excited to see it. Okay. So let's move on to some other guys here. This is kind of getting to where I'm talking about where there's exciting names to discuss, but how many of these guys are going to have value into the fantasy playoffs? I'm talking about Ramondre Stevenson running back for the Patriots, suggesting an 11% fab bid here. He was tremendous last week, 20 carries, hundred yards, two touchdowns. He's a big back. I mean, not quite AJ Dillon size, but notably bigger, I would say than Damian Harris. So you would assume that he is a player that could score touchdowns if given the opportunities near the goal line. That would all make sense. But his big boost in playing time here came because Harris was dealing with a concussion. Both of them actually suffered concussions in week 10 against the Panthers, coincidentally. Uh, but I guess Stevenson has cleared protocols and had fewer symptoms lingering. Uh, so Stevenson was able to make it back and have this big game. But if Harris is able to come back in week 11... And given that I feel like most players that suffer a concussion can come back after a week absence or sooner, is anything going to change with what this was before, which was, you know, maybe not quite a bell cow situation with Harris, but Harris was clearly the lead runner and Stevenson wasn't even really in the flex range in your typical shallower formats. Honestly, I think now with the way that New England is figuring out its offensive identity and just getting better at it, like they, they're, they have really found a way to just run the ball um play action over the middle um and then and then mac jones is obviously going to keep you on schedule with, with a lot of his short passes and stuff yeah. but i think with the way that they've gotten healthy up front they've been able to really really lean into what they want to do on the ground and i think as the year has gone on they've become a little bit more comfortable giving some of those carries to stevenson because i think harris is also a really tough runner and his vision is fantastic that's probably his best trait and he's maybe a little bit more explosive than stevenson but mm -hmm. The ethos of this entire Patriots team right now is they want to punch you in the face harder than you can punch them. Like, that's just what they do. Their offensive yeah, line is mean. Their linebackers are just disgusting freak people. Like, they just want to hit you. And Stevenson, I think, really embodies that on offense. Like, he is he is one of the meanest runners in the league, man. Um, and, and I think if that's going to want to continue to be their ethos, especially when you run into these teams like the Browns, who are kind of built as more of like a speed finesse, mm. um, you know, try to be explosive kind of defense – you can just punch them in the mouth over and over again. That's what this that's what this Patriots team wants. And so I think um, neither of these guys are probably going to continue to be bell cows. But I don't know. I think it's entirely possible we get a world where both of these guys continue to get 10 plus carries a game. I'm glad you brought up the Patriots offensive line and just their, their general, you know, attitude toward attacking teams. <laughs> because, you know, the stat that I pulled for Stevenson is that he has a 60 percent rushing success rate this season. That's tied for the best among running backs with 50 plus carries. And most of the guys that are high on that list, like are in, in 
very favorable situations from like a passing for like Clyde Edwards, Elaire, for instance, is up there too. And it's like, is it him or is it Patrick Mahomes changing how defenses play this team? Right. Mm -hmm. But with, with Stevenson, it's interesting. Cause like, while that's dramatically better than Harris, I almost feel like his workload is skewed more recently when the Patriots offensive line has really gotten healthy. Mm -hmm. So is that 60% rushing success rate? Is that about Stevenson or is it about the fact that like Shaq Mason's really good? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, is it Trent Brown that just came back? The guy that's like, 16 he's like a monster human being and he's just you know like bullying people at the line so you know stevenson looks really good by the metrics but i'm not sure that he's any better than harris is even though he's bigger i'm not even sure he's better like at a, from an after contact perspective i think they were tied going into the week at 2.0 yards after contact per attempt i thought i'd updated those but i don't know where those those stats went um so I don't know. I feel like if, you, if you're right that maybe this team can run 35 carries a game, then maybe both of these guys can have fantasy value. But it might be a situation where you want to pick and choose the matchups and hopefully against your Jets of the world, maybe that can happen and you can play the game script off. But when they're facing a team like the Bills, that may not be a great week to start Stevenson, right? Yeah, that's probably true. Um, and I would say that Stevenson's numbers are probably slightly inflated by the fact that he's obviously gotten – a lot more work behind the offensive line kind of figuring itself out. Whereas obviously earlier in the year when not even just the offensive line didn't have itself figured out, like the offense as a whole did not have it itself figured out. Like Mac Jones was like completely incapable mm -hmm. of pushing the ball down the field early. And now he's not, you know, Brett Favre or anything, but he's at least doing it enough to where defenses do have to think about that a little bit more. And then you combine that with the offensive line, getting healthier, really gelling. Like it's been the perfect situation for Stevenson lately. I do think that when Harris comes back, he's going to be able to, to produce at a pretty high clip. Um, so I don't know. I think overall, I'm just really excited about how good this running game is. I mean, to me, it might be the best in the league because they might not have like the best efficiency numbers. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, like running the ball is being able to do it when you want to do it and how often you want to do it. And I don't think anybody can do that like the Patriots, except for maybe like the Browns. Like, I think they're that good. Um, it, it's so, almost a it's a quirky thing because this this is an old Panthers thing too where it's mm -hmm. like from a yard per play perspective they're not going to be one of the best offenses in the league but like mm -hmm. you almost in an offense like that you don't want to have the highest yards per play what you want to do is consistently convert on new first downs and take yes. two and three downs to do it because that way you extend those 10 to 15 play drives and really wear a defense out uh which is like it's weird like your lower yard per plays in the first half can lead to better success toward the end of the game when you're trying to kind of salt it away. It's it's a bit counterintuitive uh, and maybe flies a little bit in the face of what Football <laughs> Outsiders uh, believes, but I think it's interesting. I'll say too, mm -hmm. kind of with your talk about the improving health of the team. So I, I've said this a lot, but, uh, but Harris had 10 carries for 10 yards combined in weeks, I think three and four, facing the Buccaneers and Saints, both ranked in the top four and run defense DVOA. Well, this huge Stevenson game that came against the number five run defense DVOA in the Browns. So it's like this was a tough matchup. Uh, and I think it, it bodes really well for both players having a ton of fantasy value down the stretch here. Mm -hmm. All right, let's stick with the Patriots. We've got Hunter Henry here. I'm suggesting as a 10% fab bid, not a ton of volume this last week, four catches for 37 yards on four targets. And that came even though Johnny Smith wasn't able to play this week. I think probably just a one week absence with a shoulder injury. But Henry's really jumped on the fantasy radars because he has seven receiving touchdowns since week four. Uh, not surprisingly, that's the most among tight ends. It's two more than C.J. Uzoma. It's actually, I think, tied for the most of all players. Uh, but two, I've been really like it's not just that he's getting lucky in a sense or that the Patriots are having unusual success. He's also top five in terms of expected touchdowns in that stretch, too, looking at 
you know, depth from the end zone, how many air yards, that type of stuff. He's like getting all these targets in the end zone, but he's up there with guys like Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, and Tyreek Hill. So it's like, it's not just that he's one of the better touchdown scorers at tight end. He's one of the better touchdown producers in football. Uh, you know, it may not be the target volume, but do you think the touchdown totals can continue here, Derek? I mean, I, I think so. Like, I, I think, and I think the thing is like, this offense is probably not going to score from range very often anyway. Yeah. That's just not how they're built. And that's not really how Mac Jones is going to play. He's, he's going to get the offense inside the 10 and they're going to either pound the rock or, or, you know, hit it to a tight end from there. Um, I think that's part of the reason it took, you know, Jacoby Myers, like, nine games this year to finally score a touchdown like they just don't really score from range it's just not what they do um and i think that bodes well for a guy like hunter henry um i think the thing that's really impressed me most especially this past week is like he caught like a uh, like a corner or like a sale route um that mac jones threw and it was just a perfect perfect ball and i think if mac jones is going to continue to unlock this intermediate you know, tight window part of his game. He even had the ball to like Kendrick Bourne that was down the seam that like split two defenders. That was just absolutely insane. Like if that part of his game is going to continue to unlock, Henry is probably the biggest beneficiary of that, um, I would think. Um, and so I think that kind of bodes well for these next, you know, four or five weeks or whatever, that he's going to maybe get a little bit more of a workload, even in that area, let alone what he's already been doing inside the 10 and stuff. Has it surprised you that Henry has emerged as the red zone threat? When like I felt like before the year, I would have thought Jonu Smith was more the box out like end zone guy, whereas Henry has the better like you know hands, soft skills, and stuff that maybe would make him a better possession option. But Henry's really been the one more than anybody on the team that's been in the red zone option. Like is is that something that you can see in his game that makes sense to you? I think so. Um, I, I think it especially makes sense with a guy like Mac Jones who. So because, I mean, Hunter Henry is like a good athlete, but because he's not the best athlete mm -hmm. and the way that he wants to win is to kind of like sift in between the zone and just have like really strong hands, that sort of thing. I think because Mac Jones throws with such incredible timing and accuracy, that kind of unlocks Henry's skill set to work inside okay. the 10. Interesting. Um, and then as for Johnny Smith, I think he's more just like a really, really good athlete. Um, and they've kind of had issues knowing what they want to do with him in the offense. They've really made him like a big screen option. They've even put him in the backfield for certain things. So I think Johnny Smith to me has become almost more of like a gadget tight end for the Patriots, which is like a really weird niche uh, role. Um, <laughs> but I guess if anybody's going to do it, you know, Bill Belichick's done it before with the guys. So, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense from that angle. That's very cool. All right. Well, I mean, I feel like there's some really good tight ends. I feel like you can probably add at this point from a fantasy perspective. We talked a lot about Pratt Fryermuth, Dan Arnold in recent weeks, but Henry would definitely be my choice to lead that list in touchdowns the rest of the way. So mm -hmm. uh, he was the one that jumps out to me as the best fantasy value. Why we wanted to highlight him this week for the week 11 waiver wire. All right. So more guys to hit on here. Mark Ingram running back for the Saints. We're down at that 2% fab bid range here. Uh, I think we're talking about maybe short-term fill-ins, maybe handcuff type players to protect yourself, but not necessarily anybody we expect to have value in the fantasy playoffs. Uh, for Ingram, he did have a ton of value last week when Alvin Kamara wasn't able to play. Ingram was basically a bell cow, 85% snap share versus 6% for Dwayne Washington. Uh, Ingram had 14 carries and a touchdown, four catches and 61 yards on seven targets as well. So, I mean, I don't, Derek, is there any reason to suspect that Ingram won't be that going forward if Kamara misses time? I mean, if Kamara continues to miss, his, miss time, I think this is entirely still on the table that they're going to want to do this. I mean, one, he's obviously very familiar with um, 
yeah. what they have going on there. I mean, he was there for the longest time, and Sean Payton was the coach the entire way, so I think that helps. But, like, he was kind of playing okay in Houston, truthfully. It's just that offensive line was one of the worst in the league. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't really giving him a whole lot of work, lot to work with, but, like, he was consistently grinding out a couple of extra yards um, that weren't necessarily there. And I think even though the, the Saints offensive line is kind of banged up and not as good as it has been in the past, I think that's still something that he's capable of, and he's obviously still capable enough in the passing game that he gives you value there. Obviously, really good inside the red zone, too. I think, you know, he, he's got that tough, you know, tight area of vision that is really good for him. And I think even when, like, Kamara comes back, there's still a possibility that he has value in the sense that, like, you know, Seth Galina, he's obviously a big Saints guy. He's talked about right. this a lot. When Kamara was the only back this year, like, they could run a lot of outside zone. That's really what Kamara is good at. But, like, it was kind of harder for them to do this the up the middle stuff like you know yeah. inside zone duo if they want to do power or counter like that's not where Kamara is as good at he can still do it obviously but that's not his thing whereas now you have a guy like Ingram who is a little bit better like in between the tackles just mash it you know if we're running through the a gap he's going through the a gap that type of thing I think he kind of has value that they can get back to like this not a full two running back system but like you can actually mix your runs up because Ingram gives you something a little bit different when they have both Ingram and Kamara, do they ever use Kamara as like strictly a wide receiver running routes? Because, you know, they've had so many wide receiver injuries. They don't have Michael Thomas. I thought they were probably going to get Odell Beckham. Didn't happen. So it's like at this point, Kamara seems like their best wide receiver. Do they ever run them together in that sense? I don't remember how much of it they used to do. I'm sure they did, um, but they should. <laughs> like, I mean, to your point, like they just don't yeah. have guys at, at receiver right now. And Kamara is probably one of the top three or four guys that you can split out as a wide receiver from the running back position. So, I mean, if they can get both of these guys healthy, yeah, that's probably, I don't know if you want to do it 30 snaps a game, but I think that's yeah. definitely something that should be in their game plan. Cause yeah, I mean, you want to get the ball to Kamara and they just don't have receivers right now. So it's kind of weird how similar this situation is to the Packers. Cause I mean, both mm -hmm. lead backs have knee sprains right now. Uh, Kamara, we haven't really gotten as many details about the absence. It kind of snuck up on me last week that he wasn't able to play, but Again, with the sprain, as mentioned with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, sometimes those can linger for a month or more. So you wonder whether Inger might end up starting another game or two. But Derek, once these lead backs come back, are Dylan and Ingram kind of in a similar fantasy situation? Or do you think that one of them has an advantage from a fantasy perspective over the other? I think Dylan has the advantage. Um, one, because obviously just the offensive situation as a whole is a lot better. So that's probably just more conducive to explosive plays, more red zone opportunities, that sort of thing. I also think Dylan is just like flatly the better player than Ingram at this point. I still think Ingram is fine and you can get him, you know, seven, eight carries a game on, on certain stuff. But like, yeah, Dylan could be a legitimate number one running back. It's just that the Packers also have another one. <laughs> Whereas I don't think Ingram is, is quite that at yeah, this stage in his career. And then obviously the Saints offensive line is not as good. So, um, Ingram is probably not as as strong of a play after the fact, but I think Dylan is probably still like a, a maybe flex option in a deeper league, even when they get Aaron Jones back. Okay, nice. And I, my fab recommendations did kind of sync with that, but also so much of that was about the fact that Dylan, at least for two one or two weeks, is going to probably be a top 10 option of the position. <laughs> uh, we got a great question here from Justin Nono, but we're going to hold that to the end of the show when we do a little bit more trade discussion. So keep bringing in any kind of fantasy questions, trades or otherwise, we'll get to them there at that point. Uh, but Derek, let's keep going with a few more waiver wire options for week 11. Uh, your guy, Justin Fields, didn't play last week because the, the Bears were on by. But I thought it looked like he was trending positively before that. 
he obviously submarined his, his passing DVOA for the season with that negative 119 spot, his first start with nine sacks and about as many yards. But things have been going better from a passing perspective. He's gone over uh, over average in DVOA in two of his last four starts. Plus, the rushing numbers are really up, which is important for fantasy. But what have you seen from Fields' development as a passer? And could the bye week maybe even send that a little bit higher? I think it absolutely could. Because, like, the thing to me with Justin Fields, and he's not the only guy like this. I think Mac Jones has also done this throughout the year. But, like, you can see week after week that he's trying to level up his game. You know, and obviously there's going to be growing pains and it's not going to be perfect because he's only played six games or whatever. But you can see that he's, you know, trying to get one to two to three and making sure that he's on time. And sometimes it looks clunky and the ball doesn't get to the right spot because he's not fully comfortable doing that. And he didn't get snaps with the ones, um, you know, coming into the season. But like you can just see that he's trying to throw with incredible anticipation. He's throwing a lot of the time before these guys are breaking on their routes, um, which I think is really impressive. Um, And he obviously has the arm strength to like really maximize that style of play. He's getting a little bit more comfortable down the field, um, you know, willing to let it rip. Um, That's always something that I think was going to come. That's just the way that he plays the game. But I think he's been finding his groove a little bit there. And then, like you mentioned, I think he's been now a little bit more willing to lean on his legs. Um, Because I think especially through his first few starts, he was really, really adamant on like, I need to learn how to be comfortable from the pocket in the NFL. And that obviously led to a lot of growing pains, a lot of lessons (laughs) he had to deal with. But now that I think he's gotten some of those under his belt, he's a little bit more like, okay, I can just take off and and get eight yards here. And I think he's obviously an incredible athlete. I mean, some of the guys that he's outrun already on the edge is kind of insane. Um, I think he's just, I don't know. I think he's really settling in. I still have questions about how good this, you know, Bears offense is, but I think he's settling in and I think we're seeing, you know, why I think I was so excited on him coming in. Yeah. So here are his carries by start. Three, three, and three his first three weeks. Obviously not very fantasy friendly. But then six, <laughs> eight, ten, and eight his last four. And he's had 16.5 fantasy points per game since week seven. That's the 17th highest among quarterbacks. To me, like Cam Newton is is probably the one that I would lean on from a fantasy perspective the rest of the season. But could Fields get to that that place from a fantasy perspective by the fantasy playoffs? I think it's possible because to me, like the biggest issue that I've seen with the Bears offense the past couple of weeks, you know, the I think it was San Francisco game and obviously obviously the Steelers game is because Fields consistently tries to throw, you know, at or before the break and it's really anticipating where these guys are going to be. Well, he didn't come into the season throwing to a lot of these guys. And so I think sometimes the timing is is a little bit off and he's not entirely sure where his receiver wants to be his receiver is not entirely sure where fields wants to put the ball but i think the longer they play together and the longer this thing kind of comes together i think the chemistry is going to get better and i think that's going to fix some of the problems that this bears offense has had to this point so i'm kind of you know excited that this can get a little bit better as the year goes on um and then again you know you're just kind of hoping that he keeps the the rushing production up which I think he probably can because honestly, not a lot of this stuff is like designed. He's just willing to take off when he needs Mm. to. And I think he's pretty smart about knowing when to do it. Absolutely. All right. A couple more running backs to hit on to close up the waiver portion of the show today. Uh, Let's hit on Dante Foreman running back for the Tennessee Titans. I'm at a 1% fab bid at this point here. During the last couple of weeks, I've been pitching Adrian Peterson as the player to add for the Titans, never expecting him to be Derrick Henry. But I think I kind of, you know, fell into a trap a bit of thinking that Peterson is the most similar body type to Henry. And so I imagine the Titans would try to keep doing what they were doing in that respect. 
But Henry has played the same 33% snap share both of his weeks, while Foreman has increased from 21% in week nine to 35% this last week. He's had more carries than Peterson. And from my perspective, has looked a little bit better from Peterson. What are your thoughts here? Is Foreman going to maybe distinguish himself and kind of fight for these extra early down carries over Peterson the rest of the way? I think it's possible because to your point, I think these past couple of weeks he has looked better. Um, I think the difference to me is like you can kind of see with Peterson right now. I think he's not yet readjusted to the speed of the NFL and how quickly some of these holes are, are going to close up. Um, and so maybe the way that they're, you know, delineating all these uh, snaps and stuff just is partly they're trying to ease Peterson in rather than just like giving him a hundred carries in a game or whatever. Um, so this could be that, that could be the problem here, but I don't know. I think Foreman has looked pretty decent um, running the ball. He's obviously a really tough runner. Um, yeah. I don't think he's particularly explosive, but I think at this stage in his career, neither is Peterson um, and neither is McNichols <laughs> yeah. to me. So I don't think that's an issue. And then I think he's probably slightly more comfortable as a pass catcher than Peterson, which Dear God, that's a low bar, but it does count for something if you're trying sure. to figure out who is going to get, you know, touches in this offense. So um, I think it's kind of a tricky backfield to work with, but it, it, it at just 1%, if you have the roster spot, I think it's not the worst thing that you could try. I mean, given that all three were between 25 and 40% snap shares this last week, if that keeps up, none of these guys are going to have fantasy value. I think we know that. So like this pick is all about trying to handicap which of these players has a chance to become a flex value down the stretch. So maybe the question is like, if you actually had Peterson on your roster, would you pull the trigger and drop him for Foreman? Or do you think Peterson still, again, given his age, given that he wasn't playing the first eight weeks of the season, maybe he needs more ramp up. Like which one of the two would you roster with the expectation that maybe he has a chance to help in the fantasy playoffs? I think, especially if you already have Peterson, you might as well kind of write it out because yeah, my hesitation here with Foreman is that maybe the issue with Peterson is just it's going to take him a few weeks to reacclimate. I mean, that it's it's hard to not play in the NFL and then come back and just yeah. suddenly play in the NFL. I think especially at a position where things move so fast in front of you, like running back. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I would like slightly lean Peterson here, but it's like. 55 45 at this point I'm, I'm not too confident either way yeah which i mean i think makes them both options to roster if you have the, the bench space to deal with we're running out of bye week teams so hopefully you'll <laughs> get a little bit of extra bench space and maybe maybe a player to speculate on going down the stretch here uh derek one more running back to hit this was more of a late addition i didn't even realize that Corderell patterson had suffered an injury on sunday until late last night uh, but apparently he did sprain his ankle and while we don't totally know the severity of this, I think it's pretty clear he's going to miss week 11 because the Falcons have a quick turnaround to play on Thursday night football. Not the best of matchups here playing the Patriots, but still that's going to open the opportunity for at least one Falcon running back to have more work. And while Mike Davis started the year as the number one back uh, on Sunday, he didn't really look like he was that guy. Gallman had 15 carries versus four for Davis. Maybe that was game script. The Falcons obviously were down big early and were trailing by multiple scores most of the way, but do you think it's possible Gallman is going to end up being the lead back for the team for the for however long it is that Patterson ends up missing? Yeah, to me, it's tricky because I don't think anybody else on the roster from the running back position can replace what Patterson has done yeah. in the passing game. Um, I don't think anybody would deny that. You know, Davis obviously isn't going to do it. And, and I don't really think Gallman has that in his skill set, especially not as a guy who can split out. But like, yeah. 
I think it's possible Gallman continues to get more carries. And honestly, it's not because I think Gallman is that great. I think it's kind of like you mentioned, like Mike Davis has been horrible mm. this year. Hate um, it. Hate it for my yeah, it sucks because he, he's been fun at certain points in his career, but like he just doesn't, it just doesn't look like he has the juice right now. I think he's struggling to, you know, see things well behind an offensive line that is still kind of gelling. You know, I think they have a couple of decent pieces, but it's definitely not all there yet. Um, so I think he's just not been very comfortable in this offense for whatever reason. And, you know, I think he, Gallman might get carries just kind of on a, you know, default basis of nobody else is good and nobody else is available. So we might as well give carries to Gallman. Yeah. To your point, Davis has the second worst rushing DVOA among qualified running backs this season. Not good. Hasn't reached 75 total yards so far this season and was kind of starting over Patterson for the first half of the year. He's been playing a good bit, but it just hasn't translated. I'm curious here because the Falcons have 3.89 adjusted line yards. That's the sixth worst. You mentioned that they're still kind of trying to find their rushing footing. Is Davis more like a like a Derrick Henry, as you characterized it, whereas like he needs the buildup to get to top speed to then start punishing guys after contact? Like, is this is this maybe a bad fit where if he's getting hit in the backfield, he doesn't really have any way to deal with it? And, and could Gallman be better from that perspective, even if you wouldn't necessarily say he has a, a great overall skill set? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. I also think like Mike Davis just doesn't have the vision or body type, in my opinion, to do very good work. Like when things are just kind of muddled up in front of him, I think he's definitely a guy who is more once he can get to the second level, he, he's really good at bouncing guys off and, and you know, yeah. making people really work to bring him down. I think Gallman is a little bit more conducive to kind of just jamming it forward and, and, and just getting what you can <laughs> out of a play. Um I think also because he kind of has a skinnier body type, it, it can be a little bit easier for him to just shimmy through some of those holes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think if you're going to be one of those, you know, bigger type of bodies like Davis, you really, really have to have the vision and low running style of like an Alex Collins, like we've talked about before. And I'm just not sold that Davis really has that. Um, and like you mentioned, behind an offensive line, that is what sixth worst in, in adjusted line yards. You're not going to get a lot of clean opportunities. You're going to have to kind of just <laughs> jam it and take, you know, three yards and three yards are there. And I think um, Gallman is maybe a little bit more willing and, and able to do that. Yeah. So in my mind, Gallman may be worth a roster spot, but kind of your takeaway is mine here too, that that Patterson was unique. Like he was top mm -hmm. seven in PPR points among running backs this season, but top eight with a 14.6% target share. So much of his success came as a receiver and I just don't really think either of these guys has that same skill set. So like Gallman in a league where you every running back with 10 carries, you've got to have him in fantasy. Yes. Uh, but from a general sense, I don't think I'm going to be itching to start him in your shallower leagues, even as a flex option. I just don't think the value is going to be there, uh, even while Patterson misses a week or two or however long he's out. All right. That covers the waiver guys, Derek. But kind of like we've done in previous weeks uh, as the. As we're kind of getting late in the year, you're running out of waiver guys to really consider. Let's do some more rookie discussion here today. Like we've already done quarterbacks and wide receivers today. Let's hit on some running backs. And to me, there's a, there's a handful of guys here to talk about. I'm just going to go in order of where they were drafted originally. So start with Najee Harris of the Steelers. I would say that this has kind of been what we expected for him so far this season. The efficiency hasn't been very good. 3.7 yards per carry, obviously well below the, the NFL average. 45.5% rushing success rate is 12th lowest among running backs with 50 plus carries. But what the Steelers are the third worst run blocking team by adjusted line yards. This is like a situation where it's a really bad spot. Have you been impressed by what he's been able to make of what are pretty difficult opportunities? I think so. I think he's really good. And I think yeah. part of the reason that I, I've even been impressed by it is it's not 
like his his efficiency numbers are not great but i think part of that too is like just the volume that they give him like it's like they they really force him to run into a lot of tough boxes all the time because obviously teams don't have to worry about as much about the explosive passing game because ben roethlisberger is not very good and he's not going to be able to test down the field as much so i think teams have been more willing to kind of just key the run um and kind of work against the Steelers offensive line that is not particularly great. You know, I think their rookie center has been impressive to me, but like the rest of that line is not very good right now. Um, And I think that's been a little bit of an issue. I think in recent weeks, they've gotten a little bit better about knowing what they want to be as a running offense, getting into more 12 personnel, 21 personnel, um, and really having a more, you know, under center kind of punch you style of, of run game. And I think it's had a little bit of mixed success, but they've had some success, whereas earlier in the year, they just didn't really have anything. Yeah. Um, so I think if they can continue to lean on that, we might see Harris's numbers bump up a little bit. But I just think his vision is incredible. I think the way that he can navigate the second level is, is really impressive for a guy his size. Um, it's not much of a home run hitter, but I think he really just does pretty much everything else that you can can want from a running back. He's also second among running backs with 44 catches on the season. And like, Mm -hmm. I know we talked about this in the preseason from a scouting perspective. He actually does have good hands. Like he's a talented Mm -hmm. pass catcher, even if he's not the home run hitter, the way that like we thought Travis Etienne might be this season, but he's also above average with a 0.071 yards after the catch plus per catch, kind of a mouthful there, but it's like, (laughs) it feels like the Steelers are just checking down to him constantly because they're always in trouble and they don't have other good options, but he's actually kind of making that work. It's not just, here catch the ball like Miles Gaskin style because there's nothing else to go on here with the offense. Like he's a good receiver, right? This could continue. Absolutely. I mean, he's never really going to be a guy who you split out the way that we've seen Christian McCaffrey or whatever, but like Mm -hmm. he is as reliable of of a check down option as I think there is in the league because his hands have mostly been really good. He's had a couple of drops, but like when you throw at him at the volume that you do as a rookie, like that's just going to happen in my opinion. But like, I think his hands are mostly great. He has a really good feel for space. And obviously he's not the easiest guy to bring down. You know, he might not be, you know, Derrick Henry, but like he's he's, he's not the easiest guy to tackle, especially <laughs> if you've only got, you know, one cornerback trying to do it or whatever. Yeah. All right. Next up, Javante Williams of the Denver Broncos. From a workload perspective, he's been mired in pretty close to a 50-50 workload split with Melvin Gordon all season. 103 versus 118 carries for Gordon. 29 versus 28 targets for Gordon there. So it's it's almost exactly 50-50. But I've really liked what I've seen from Williams from a talent perspective. What are your thoughts there, Derek? Williams is like the opposite of Najee Harris, where I don't think his game is complete at all. Um, but I think he's kind of so athletic and good that it hasn't really mattered. Um, part of that is I think the Denver run blocking off, uh, you know, their run blocking is actually really good. Their pass blocking yeah. is that's a different discussion, um, <laughs> sure. but, but they've been able to, to run block really, really well. And I think they've built their offensive line for that. And so while Williams to me has a lot of instances where like, oh, he could get six yards here and then he runs into a guard and gets two. He has a lot of those plays. He also has a lot of plays where a normal running back might get five here and he just decides, screw it, I'm going to bounce it. And he yeah. gets 12. I mean, he that's just kind of the, the hit or miss kind of runner he is. But I think he's such a good athlete. Um, his acceleration is really impressive. Um, he's kind of a bigger guy, but he's still really explosive. Like, I, I don't know. He, he has all the physical things that you can want from a running back. You just hope that over the next couple of years, he gets his, you know, timing and vision down a little bit more so he can get, get a little bit of that, you know, hmm. stake with the sizzle. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And like the standout metric for, for me here is that he's got a 15.5% avoided tackle rate by sport radar charting. That's the second highest among running backs with 50 plus carries. And it's like he, Miles Sanders, 
Zach Moss and Chris Carson are, are way above the rest of the field in that respect. So it's like, that's something that I think is really encouraging from the long term. He also has 2.23 yards after contact per attempt. That's sixth best. But, you know, Gordon is above average in those two metrics as well. And I, I don't know, like, to me, I was kind of going into the year thinking that the Broncos were going to do what the Ravens did with J.K. Dobbins last year, the, the Rams did with Cam Akers last year, kind of give them the car keys in December. But now that the Broncos are fading from playoff contention, do they have any incentive to do that? Like, maybe they should just keep keep the 50-50 split, let Gordon walk in free agency, and is 2022 really the year that Williams has a chance to be an impact fantasy player? I would say 2022. And I think part of that is honestly, Gordon is just, to me, playing some of the best ball that he ever has in his career. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just playing fantastic. I haven't even been the biggest Gordon fan over his career, but I think he's just seeing it incredibly well right now. Um, He's a lot more consistent than I think Williams is. And I think that's why they split these carries the way they do. It's a little bit the same way that like it's it's why Zeke continues to get more carries than Pollard. I think, you know, Gordon is just a lot more consistent, especially in pass pro. I think Gordon has been fantastic this year. So Hmm. he kind of just brings that floor to the offense from the position that Williams just doesn't have right now. But I think to your point, you let Gordon walk after this year. You hope that another offseason of having Williams in the building and getting getting some you know more experience under him can kind of yeah. get him a little bit better at some of the stuff that raises the floor because we obviously know his ceiling is it's i mean it seems about as promising <laughs> as anyone in the league absolutely uh sticking with the north carolina alum team shout out to my alma mater here let's jump on michael carter of the jets he was actually a fourth round selection originally in the nfl draft but has gotten a little bit more run than some of the other guys drafted in his range his snap shares by week, it's really trended up overall, 25% in week one, then 45, 43, 51, 52%, 72% and 70% a few weeks ago. And I thought like the breakout is here, but then it's tailed off a little bit to 58 and 52% the last two weeks. Like, I don't know if that's just been about the Jets falling behind, if it's been about Tevin Goldman returning from injury. I don't know. But like, what's your read on, on what Carter's been able to do this year? Is he kind of becoming a, a lead back or... Are there maybe limitations size-wise or skills-wise that maybe makes him more of a committee guy right now? Um, I think I think they do want to be him a little bit more of a committee guy because, you know, he is kind of built like Alvin Kamara, um, and I think he has a lot of the same skill sets. Uh, you know, his vision is pretty good. Um, he's a lot – he has a lot more balance for a guy his size. Um, I think the difference to me – is that Kamara is is more explosive and he can kind of generate those those really yeah. big plays. Whereas I think that's not really something that Carter has shown to this point in his NFL career. Um, but I think Carter does he he fills in a lot of holes for the offense. To me, I think that the thing that the Jets have just wanted to see is that they just don't. I don't think they want to give him too much of a workload because I think if you're going to be kind of that smaller back, even though he's like thick for his size, yeah you have to be like literally the best in the position at that size, which obviously Kamara is Carter is not that. So I think they're a little bit more willing to just kind of committee it out. Obviously I don't think the guys that they have are good enough to warrant that. I think Carter is pretty clearly their best back right now, but maybe the idea is that, you know, next year or, or the next two years, they get a guy who is a better compliment for him. And I think that can really help unlock the offense. Yeah. It's kind of eerie how similar Carter and Kamara have been, maybe not from an overall fantasy perspective, but some of the similarities like Carter, 31 catches this year versus 32 for Kamara. Carter has 2.55 yards after the catch plus per catch. That's 10th highest among running backs, by the way. Kamara's at 2.76. That's a stat that's not usually very fluky for running backs either. So it's like they're up there with McCaffrey, Kamara. I think Carter is kind of in that mix as a receiver. Uh, He's also, he's 201 pounds, sounds small, but is only five foot eight. So by BMI, He's about the same as Kamara, 30.6 versus 30.8 there. 
And also he, you know, I think he was probably underdrafted because he was more of a complimentary college back next to a player that ended up becoming an NFL pro and and, uh, Javante Williams, who we were just singing his praises. So I think there are a lot of signs pointing up with Carter here. And I I think his fantasy stock should be much higher than his original draft status. I would agree with that. And I think especially if we can, if the Jets figure out their offensive line next year. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully Makai Becton. I think he may be coming back in a couple more weeks. We can hope. Hopefully that'll help too. Mm -hmm. Um, Next up, a player taken after Carter and Elijah Mitchell, but also Trey Sermon selected ahead of him. Let's talk about these two guys together. Given their original draft stock, I think it's pretty surprising to see that Mitchell has been the player that's that's played a lot more, been the lead back for the 49ers this season. But there's some reasons why I'm not as surprised, mainly that Mitchell ran a 4-3-3-40 time in college. Sermon was a bigger back and ran a 4-5-7 time there. Like Shanahan has always seemed to have an – an affinity, I guess, for the, the really speedy backs really works maybe with his outside zone running scheme. Like, is it is it a situation where Mitchell is actually the better fit for this specific offense, even if he's not necessarily like the more complete player or better skilled player overall? I would say yes and no. I, I think the reason that he is, is that to your point, Shanahan has done a really good job with these, these uh, speedy type of backs. I mean, he obviously did it with Tevin Coleman back in in Atlanta. I mean, I think that was the biggest example. And I think what you'll see that they do a lot of the times is I don't think they trust Mitchell to to read blocks particularly well. So what they'll do on a lot of their outside zones is they'll just pitch it and kind of force him to hit the perimeter. Like that, they don't give him time to have the ball immediately and and see all this stuff. They kind of pitch it and say, you're going to go outside and we're going to hope that you win with your speed. Um, Part of that, I think, is on him. I think because he's not particularly great with seeing things but i also think their offensive line is not very great right now you know i think they look they, they've looked a little bit better recently but i'm not sure they're as strong uh, running between the tackles and blocking between the tackles as they want to if you're not as good as that as you want to be it kind of makes it tough to to warrant giving carries to your guy who is better at that in trey sermon obviously so that's interesting because I'm curious about how this is going to you know, unfold over the longer term. Mitchell has 2.68 yards before contact per attempt. That's 19th highest among regular backs, but a 22% stuffed rate, like getting stopped for, for negative or zero yards. And it's that's like the hallmark of like a Philip Lindsay type of speed back where it's like you either hit a home run or it might not work out. So like I'm wondering if the offensive line improves, like maybe it becomes less of an issue, but do you think it's a situation where – you like Sermon may end up having more work in future seasons when it's it's a little bit more balanced because he's going to be able to keep ahead of the sticks, whereas maybe Mitchell is, again, more the home run hitter but could lead to some more negative plays. I think so. I think if, if the offensive line gets a little bit better, um, Kyle Shanahan is going to want to play this style of football that is a little bit better of just staying ahead of the sticks. I mean, yeah. we saw it just last night. Like, that's what they want to be. Can they be that consistently? I they haven't really shown that this year, but I think at their best that that's kind of what they want to be. And I think if that's what Kyle feels the offense, you know, fully is heading into, in, into the new season, I think it's entirely possible. Sermon gets a little bit more run in that sense. Yeah. All right. Two more rookie backs to hit, and then we'll hit up all these questions that we're getting on YouTube about trade ideas, et cetera. We've actually talked about this one previously in the show here, Ramondre Stevenson as a possible waiver wire ad in particular while Damian Harris is out. But Derek, let's take this from a broader perspective too, because like we saw the Patriots move on from Sony Michelle before they had to, liking what that Harris gave them in the offense. Is there any risk do you think that Stevenson could do to Harris what Harris did to Sony Michelle? 
I would say no because Harris is still good. I yeah. I think at, <laughs> Michelle at his at the end of his uh, you know Patriots career I think was not particularly good. I think yeah. some of the injuries had really piled up on him. Um, he just wasn't explosive the way that he was coming out of college. You know I think he was a good player at one point and I think he's just not there anymore. Which I think Harris is still very much a good you know number yeah. one style of running back. So I think it's more just a situation where the Patriots now just have two good running backs and, and two bigger bodied running backs, which I think is really good for the style of play that they want. But, you know, yeah, I mentioned earlier, I, I think Stevenson of these rookies other than Harris might be my favorite to watch. I don't know if he's like the best, but I think just the violence that he runs with is it, just so yeah. like, I, it's just so much fun. I don't think it's like a one for one with Kareem Hunt, but like he has that weird balance to him that Kareem Hunt kind of has. And I think it's just really impressive. Yeah. All right, one more rookie back to hit. It's actually a guy that hasn't played as much in recent weeks and then was off last week, Khalil Herbert. But Herbert had a lot of fantasy success when when David Montgomery was out. So I was curious what your thoughts are with him in the long term about whether he teased enough potential you think that he could be a future lead type of back. I think Montgomery has another maybe year on his contract, but this this could change for the Bears if they think that Herbert's that kind of guy. I think he could be. I think he still needs to show more to me in the um, passing game. I think especially in pass pro, yeah. he kind of looked lost a lot of the time, um, which I think is why they were excited to get Montgomery back. I think he's better in that sense. So I think Herbert showed enough that he could be a lead back somewhere. I think for as long as Montgomery is in town, that's never going to happen. I think mm -hmm. Montgomery is um, he's a lot tougher. I think their vision is similar, both in terms of the way that they can squeeze a lot out of each play. Um I think Montgomery is probably a little bit better inside the 10 as well. Um, yeah. Herbert, Herbert's a great player. I, I do think he's going to be good. Um, he could be a guy who you give 150 you know, carries to in a season or whatever. But, yeah, I think so long as Montgomery's there, it's not going to happen. If the Bears are inclined to not want to pay a running back, he's probably good enough that they wouldn't need to pay Montgomery. But um, I guess it just depends on what kind of money he's, he's going to demand. Yeah. So like if you look at some of the more basic stats, these two have looked pretty similar in their in their efficiency. And it might have been a bit of a surprise to you to see Montgomery kind of retake a bell cow type of role in recent weeks, like 47.1% success rate for, for Herbert, 47.6 for Montgomery. It's pretty much the same. But I'll point out that Montgomery has been dramatically better in yards after contact per attempt. He's actually fourth behind Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Jonathan Taylor at the position this season. So I feel like it's it seems likely that Herbert has had the bet, like the easier difficulty carries just because of how they've shaken out with blocking opponents, maybe related. And, and it actually, his yards per carry has actually regressed pretty heavily. He had 4.95 yards per carry weeks five to seven during the breakout. It's fallen to 3.15 in weeks eight and nine, facing the 49ers and Steelers in the top 10 and run defense DVOA. So it's kind of settled in that 4.3 range, which is good, but not great. And I feel like that maybe kind of better steers the expectations for him in the short term. I agree with you that I've loved his vision. And that's something that doesn't always show up in the metrics. Like if he's avoiding contact entirely, then he's neither breaking tackles nor like pushing the pile to get yards after after contact. So like there may be some sort of hidden success there. That's not just the offensive line, but I still think Montgomery is a really good and really underrated player. So at least in the short term, I don't expect that the, the Herbert's going to get a lot of run down the stretch this season. All right. Um, so we've got some great questions here coming in on YouTube. I've mentioned before, but let me mention again that we're live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Some combination of Derek, me and guests doing fantasy content Tuesdays and Fridays. Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier and others doing regular football outsider stuff Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. So hop on YouTube and ask us questions. 
Let's go back and, and see some of the trade questions people have. Justin Nono asks, would you trade AJ Brown, James Conner, and Michael Carter for Stefan Diggs and Miles Gaskin? So I like I understand the, the the like the impetus here because I feel like Diggs stands out as probably the best fantasy value of this mix. But I'll point out that Diggs, despite having a really big week 10, his target share has, has declined pretty substantially from last year when he was like up there with the Tyreek Hill and Keenan Allens of the world. For me, he's more of a back-end wide receiver one and maybe not dramatically better than where A.J. Brown is going to be the rest of the way with Julio Jones out. So I think that's more of a of kind of a close call. And like I think that Connor and Carter are just dramatically better and, and like more valuable than Gaskin the rest of the way. I mean, I know Gaskin's going to have your PPR value, but... Those are those are better running backs in better situations. Uh, I just I think it's it's a no brainer that you stick with Brown, Connor, and Carter. Do you feel differently at all there, Derek? No, I feel pretty much the same way. And like Diggs is you know target share isn't even his his target share dropping isn't even because he's worse. They just have a better number three. Like Sanders is yep. just better than what they had last year, and that's kind of all that comes down to. So and, and I think Dawson I Knox, I feel like, has really taken some yeah. steps forward this this year too. And maybe it hasn't led to a ton of targets, but it's led to a lot of red zone work. And so I feel mm -hmm. like that's part of why Diggs's value has dropped a bit as well. Absolutely. All right, LeBron's brain, a great great handle here on YouTube. Here, should he trade T.J. Hawkinson, Antonio Gibson, and Jerry Judy for Dalvin Cook and Dawson Knox? Uh, the big question here would be that, you know, Cook is potentially dealing with the, the legal issues. Obviously, we aren't experts in that respect. But from what I understand, Cook's legal issues are all civil and non-criminal, which means he's not going to get put on the commissioner's exempt list um, until all of that legal stuff kind of works its way out, as best I can understand. So, like, I think it's pretty likely that Cook is going to be playing in the NFL the rest of this season um, without any issues in that respect. So like in that sense, yes, I probably would do this deal. Cook is dramatically better than everyone else in the trade. I do think mm -hmm. Hawkinson is, is a lot more valuable than Knox, even though they've been more similar in point scoring this year. Knox has been a bit of an overachiever from a touchdown perspective, but Cook is just so good that I think it makes sense. Um, do you feel the same way, Derek? Or maybe should he also try to figure out a way to get Alexander Madison as a way to protect himself? Uh Maybe like if if you could do that, but I kind of still like the Cook and Knox side of this trade. Um, mm. And like I like Hawkinson as a player, but like Jared Goff just looks worse and worse. Oh, and yeah. I think like you're just he's just he's not going to get enough quality targets. Yeah, it's going to be David Blow. Yeah, if I would hope <laughs> at some point. Hmm. All right, one more question here coming in from Kelvion: Would you trade Zeke and Terry McLaurin for DeAndre Hopkins and David Montgomery? Okay, so it's, it's a wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, running back. So we can take it one mm -hmm. at a time. Uh, between Zeke and David Montgomery, I feel like I prefer Zeke. And it, it may mm -hmm. be more related to the quality of the offense around him. I think the Cowboys have been top two or so in adjusted line yards. Really excellent run blocking. Having the great quarterback play, I think, is going to lead to some lighter boxes and easier opportunities. So I feel like even if I don't necessarily think Zeke is a, is a way better player than Montgomery... I think from a fantasy perspective, he's he's much better. Starting there, what do you think, Derek? I, I mean, I think I agree. Like the Denver game that the that the Cowboys had was kind of a blip, and even in that blip, the Cowboys were running the ball well. They just didn't get to do it a lot because the rest of the offense kind of kind of yeah. was a yeah. disaster. So I think Zeke is definitely the better player here. Now, from the wide receiver side of things, I mean, it's it's almost the opposite for me. Like honestly, Terry McLaurin, I think it's possible he's better than DeAndre Hopkins at this point in their respective careers. But the offense around him just isn't the same at all. And I just feel like McLaurin's really being held back with, with the quarterback play and everything else going on in Washington. So you feel like 
normally Hopkins would be the, the better value there. But the fact that Hopkins himself is dealing with a hamstring injury currently, the fact that Kyler Murray is out, I'm not sure he's going to play in week 11 either. And then the Cardinals are on by in week 12. Like to me, I think McLaurin may have more value just because of the, the health and circumstances there, even if he's not the better player. And so for me, it all adds up to, I'd rather have Zeke and Terry McLaurin. Uh, but do you feel any differently, Derek? I think I might agree, or at least it's closer than I think. Like mm-hmm. to me, the running back one is, is pretty handily Zeke. Yeah. Whereas this one is a little bit, a little bit more of a coin flip, but I'd be fine with siding with Terry just because kind of like you mentioned, the circumstances are more attuned to to Terry getting touches and, and stuff. I mean, the Cardinals just have too many other good guys. Tyler Murray's status is a little up in the air, whereas like Terry McLaurin is pretty clearly the best guy on his team. Um, and I think that's going to help him out. All right, that wraps up today's waiver wire discussion and rookie running back roundup here. Derek, thanks so much for participating as always. Uh, Tell everybody what you have going on this week and where they can catch all your great work. Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, betting stuff over at OddsChecker going on. And then uh, with Bleacher Report, I'm obviously doing our front seven grading for all of our NFL draft stuff. I think we're having another big board in the next couple of weeks um, where we're expanding it out from like top 100 to I think 175 or something like that. So yeah, look forward to that. Everybody check that out. Also, Eric will be with me the rest of the way every Tuesday for these shows. So check that out. I'm actually going to be on with Mike Tanier and Brian Knowles tomorrow, subbing in for Aaron. So we'll be doing an, an Ask Me Anything. Get us all your questions on Twitter. I'm at Scott underscore Spratt. By the way, Derek is at QB class with a K. So get in all of your questions there. And before we run out, let me mention one more time that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. So head over to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show. Thanks so much for sticking with us either on YouTube or whatever streaming platform you prefer, or if it's uh, also after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. We really appreciate you following and hopefully subscribing and look forward to talking to you again uh, tomorrow. We'll see you then.